one of my favorite hymns. Um, if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 14 to start with today. Thanksgiving is such a great holiday. What a, a wonderful opportunity to gather with friends and family and loved ones and sometimes they're even the same group. And, <clears throat> and you get to share good things together and return thanks to the Lord. Maybe you will allow yourself to indulge in one more slice of turkey or slice of pie. You get the day off from school or work. All in all, it's a great day. Especially a great day for the moms of the families who, who get to spend 10 hours slaving in the kitchen and watch it devoured in 20 minutes. Just gone. But it's, it's a wonderful time to come together and to thank God for His blessings. It's, it's an opportunity to acknowledge God for his blessings upon us. But Thanksgiving is more than just a day or an event. Thanksgiving is really a, a condition of the heart. And I found through the years that there are people who, who have what seems like a lot. Who, um, who tend to complain if the slightest thing goes wrong. And yet I have personally viewed people in in huts in the poorest parts of the world and in ghettos in Africa and, and Costa Rica who for the, the slightest blessing are aglow with praise to God. It's a condition of the heart and uh, one person put that in poem this way. <clears throat> Some murmur when their sky is clear and wholly brought to view if one small speck of dark appear in their great heaven of blue, and some with thankful love are but one streak of light, one ray of God's good mercy gild the darkness of their night. In palaces are hearts that ask in discontent and pride, why life is such a dreary task and all good things denied. In hearts in poorest huts admire how love has in their aid love that never seems to tire such rich provision made. <clears throat> it's really more than of, of substance. It's a matter of being content and rejoicing in God and in whatever he has given us. Ingratitude and pride are the opposite of a thankful heart. And before we look at our text this morning I want you to look at the opposite of what we're going to be talking about in Isaiah 14 <clears throat> if you're in Isaiah 14 look at verse 12 this is the fall of, uh, of Lucifer from heaven chronicled for us here <clears throat> how you are fallen from heaven O Lucifer son of the morning how you are cut down to the ground you who weakened the nations for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. These are the, the five I wills of pride that Satan uttered. And what we want to look at today is in contrast to these, the five I wills of a thankful heart that we find in Psalm 116. Psalm 116, we'll start by reading the first eight verses. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found then I call my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears and my feet from falling we'll stop there for now here are the five I wills of a thankful heart the first being I will call upon the Lord with I love the Lord I love the Lord because now if you had to finish that, uh, that clause how would you finish it I love the Lord because whatever and I, I wish we could take time this morning to just hear from all of you. I love the Lord because then fill in the blank. And it, that would that'd be a wonderful way to spend our morning. But we'll have opportunity for that tonight. If you come to the, the Thanksgiving feast tonight, we'll, have, we'll share in that. I love the Lord because. So be thinking about that. What might you say to that? Uh, the psalmist says... I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. In other words, the psalmist is saying, in my distress and hopelessness, God heard my cry. We don't know who this particular psalmist is. Uh, there have been several suggestions. One of them is that it... it it is David uh, when he was betrayed by Absalom. Uh, another suggestion by uh, some rabbis is that this is actually a, uh, a psalm that Jonah wrote when he, uh, from his experience of being in the belly of the whale. Um, but the truth is we don't really know who this was or what the particular circumstance is. And I think that God did that on purpose so that we wouldn't try to just figure out, well, what is that circumstance but more that we could apply this to our circumstance in a general way so that we who are in need will call upon the Lord. 
I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Have you ever wondered if God hears your voice? You know, you pray to him, you call out to him, but you realize that there are millions of voices across this planet offering up billions of words of praise and petition and crying out to God, deliver me. And in those billions of words, does he hear your voice? And that's what the psalmist is praising God for. Of all the people calling out all the time, you have heard my voice. I've been impressed uh, through the years watching mothers when their children have been in other rooms and there's a, maybe a group of children in the other room and one of them starts crying. And I don't have any idea whose kid that is in there, but that mom knows. She hears the voice of her child and she, she know, knows their voice and God knows our voice. He hears us when we call. And so the psalmist is saying, he, he has heard my voice and my supplication. He inclined his ear toward me. Not that there is anything in me that should demand from God he hear me, but he condescended to. He, he bent down his ear. He inclined his ear toward me. He wants to hear us. And so he says, my, my constant prayer is, um, I will call upon him as long as I live. This is constant prayer. I will call upon the Lord all the days of my life as long as I live. And this first I will in our list is an enduring one. This is something that the psalmist is saying, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I will call upon the Lord. In fact, this idea of calling upon the Lord is the thread that kind of holds this psalm together. It's, it's repeated throughout, um, not only in verse 2, but verse 4, then I called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 17, I will offer to you the th sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call upon the name of the Lord. So that's a theme throughout, important to the psalmist. His, his uh, determination, I will call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is trustworthy. Because I know I can turn to him and trust him and that he answers. And so the psalmist gives the testimony of God's great deliverance here. First of all, his, his cry for help in verses 3 and 4 the pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. And the, those parallel statements, death and Sheol, meaning that the, this person felt like they were just on the edge of the place of death, Sheol, just, just about to die. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, like dragging me down in, into death. I found trouble and sorrow then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Whatever this problem was, whether it was a, a wound or a sickness, a illness unto death, this person was, was on their deathbed. They thought they were about to die to the point of death. And so they issue up this desperate cry for help. 
In answer to the cry for help, O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul, the response is not immediately what God does, but something even more important, and that is God's character. Verse 5, Gracious is the Lord, righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. What we do is based on who we are. What we do always flows out of our inner character, who we are. And we see the same thing with God. God always acts in keeping with his nature. He always acts in keeping with, with his character, who he is. He remains faithful because he keeps himself, 2 Timothy 2 tells us. So he's always consistent with his own character. And so the answer of God, his working here in the psalmist's life is based on verse 5, who God is and which characteristics does the psalmist acknowledge here of all the, the many, the multitude of characteristics of God we could mention, uh, God's majesty God's holiness God's omniscience God's omnipotence God's transcendence all these wonderful things we could speak of about God I was struck with the three that the psalmist was led to mention he is gracious and righteous and merciful these all three are personal characteristics relational characteristics of God how God relates to us grace righteousness and mercy and notice the order that the center one is the righteousness. God always does. You can trust him to always do the just thing, the right thing. Now, <clears throat> we could be in trouble if that were exclusively true. That is that, that God always did uh, the just thing without any consideration of us. But he does what is right without bending his rules that is he shows us grace and mercy the Lord has not dealt with us according to our sin Psalm 103 says even though that's what we deserve he is still just though he's still righteous because he has dealt with our sins on the cross so he maintains his righteousness but notice you have the righteousness of God and it's kind of like think of a turkey sandwich since we're on Thanksgiving week the turkey in the middle and it's both sides of that are covered with grace and mercy surround the righteousness of God the grace of God because he gives us what we do not deserve and the mercy of God because he does not give us what we do deserve gracious is the Lord and righteous yes our God is merciful Verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. This, this is the blessing of humility that the psalmist is talking about. As James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves. And whenever we go through hard times, whether it's like this to the point of death or persecution or whatever it is whenever we go through hard times it always serves as a reminder of our insufficiency 
Think about it. every trial you've gone through, every hard time, it always serves as a reminder of our insufficiency. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to remember. The, in fact, the sooner we get to that point, the better that we were brought low that he might save us. Verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. We have the peace of God in his deliverance. Verse 7, <clears throat> return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Return to your rest, O my soul. Whenever we go through hard times, it is easy for us to get anxious, worrisome, uh, about what's going on to be at anything but rest but now having called upon the Lord and entrusted himself to the Lord the psalmist is saying to himself return to your rest O my soul you, because you can rest in God for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you think about your life up to this point how gracious God has been to you in the many ways that he has supplied for you and taken care of you and brought you back from uh, a point of despair or, or illness or um, a time that you didn't think you were going to make it through and yet here you are. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So return to your rest, O my soul. The blessing of God's peace. And now finally in verse 8, we get to the specific deliverance. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. So, in verse 4, the, the call was, Then I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Verse 8 is the answer, You have delivered my soul from death. He thought he was on the, his deathbed and God raised him up. So he, he delivered him from that. But not only that. He also, you have delivered my eyes from tears. And not only that, you have delivered my feet from falling. Probably that last phrase, my feet from falling, is meant to, to speak of the, the spiritual fall or a stumbling that might occur with someone who is going through a hard time and is maybe giving up but because uh, you're, the, the phrase uh, my feet who falling usually has to do with spiritual stumbling but you delivered my feet from falling so therefore because of God's deliverance verse 2 because he has inclined his ear to me Therefore, I will call upon him as long as So, where to what call for answers to problems for your need? As I am going to call upon the Lord, who are you going to call upon? Secondly, I will walk before the Lord. Verses 9 through 11. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. 
I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Here we have, first of all, the unworthiness. And the, the psalmist admits that these declarations were made under some stress. Uh, he said, uh, verse 11, I said in my haste or in my, in my alarm or in my fear. You know how when you get uh, something frightens you all at once, you might do something hastily, uh, make a hasty move or make a hasty decision or say something in haste when you're alarmed, when you're afraid. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And, uh, in that time when I was alarmed at my condition, I said some things in haste. Uh, I am greatly afflicted. Um, perhaps meaning that I don't, I don't think God's going to come to my aid. But he also says, all men are liars. And that's why some people think that this was uh, David after the incident with uh, Absalom and the betrayal. But whatever it is, uh, this person looking to themselves and looking to others found no, no answers. It was only when he turned to God that he found something certain to trust in. The trustworthiness of God. Therefore, verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now, that is both a praise and a promise. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I'm not going to die. I'm going to continue walking in this life in the land of the living. That's a, a praise. It's also a promise. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The idea of knowing that God's eyes are upon me. I'm, I'm going to walk in his ways. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It's a commitment to be a testimony to God. God restored my life, restored my health, raised me up. I'm going to be a testimony for him. I will walk before the Lord, meaning I will walk in his ways. So I will call upon the Lord. I will walk before the Lord. Third, I will take the cup of salvation. Verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13 are not only the center of the psalm physically, it's the center of the psalm in its, in its spirit and heart of the psalm. Verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Because God has been so gracious to us to give to us, because God has given to this psalmist new life, his desire is to give something back to the Lord. What shall I render? What shall I give to the Lord? His benefits toward me. Our, our desire is to give back to God. And I think that that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Um, the truth is there's no way we can repay God nor of course, is he looking for us to somehow match what he's done or repay him? 
But the heart of thankfulness that wants to give back something to the Lord, I, I think in itself is okay. You know, the, the words to the song, my tribute, for instance, how can I say thanks? How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you give to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the... You want to sing it? You know how the rest of that goes. To God be the glory, right? And it's, it's our desire to want to say, how can I say thanks? And yet we realize at the same time, there's, there's no adequate way. How can I rightfully express this? What can I do? And the answer is a surprising one. The answer is not to give, but to take. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation. The answer is not in giving, but in taking. As the Lord always works so surprisingly with us. Now, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? The word translated benefits there means literally gracious acts. Of all the, the gracious acts that God has done for me. And we know that whatever God does, he, he does because of his grace toward us, his gracious acts. What shall I render to the Lord for all his gracious acts towards me? Now go back a few Psalms to 103. Bless the Lord. Let's start with verse 1 of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And if that was not enough, also gives us chocolate. <laughs> verse 5. It's here in the text, verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. Amen? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. By the way, come tonight and your mouth will really be satisfied with good things as we... We, we give thanks together as a congregation. But God so takes care of us. Not only does he forgive our iniquity, that which is but he also looks over our life and provides for us and guides us. This Psalm 103 is just a great psalm. It might be, you might want to remember this one for Thanksgiving Day, maybe to read this as a family, Psalm 103, just to re, remind yourselves of the, the great goodness of God. Now back to Psalm 116. 
What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits or gracious acts toward me? And, and the answer, verse 13, is I will take up the cup of salvation and again call upon the name of the Lord. I will take up the cup of salvation. Now the word translated salvation here is the word Yeshua where we get the Old Testament name Joshua the New Testament version of Joshua is Jesus and Joshua Yeshua or Jesus means God saves and it's interesting that the psalmist is literally saying here if we can read back into it now because we know what this cup is I will take up the cup of Jesus I will take up the cup of Yeshua, Joshua, or Jesus. This psalm, by the way, Psalm 116, was a psalm that, which was sung on Passover night. Psalm 113 through 118, as a group of psalms, were sung on Passover night. Uh, by the way, it, you, you know how in uh, Matthew and Luke it talks about the after the Passover meal and the institution of the Lord's Supper that they sang a hymn and went out that hymn that they sang was probably Psalm 118 probably the last of these so if you ever wondered what did they sing turn to Psalm 118 and, but they would have sung this psalm earlier they would have sung this psalm during the meal they would have done Psalm 113 and, and 14 at the beginning of the meal and then 15 and 16 later on uh, after the meal and remember that it was after the Passover meal that Jesus took the cup and passed it around and, and that Passover cup the third cup of the Passover is this cup of salvation which Jesus said is the, the uh, represents my blood the, the new covenant in my blood and so they would have sung this psalm sometime around the time that they partook of that bread and passed that cup they would have sung I will take up the cup of salvation I will, I will take up the cup of Jesus now that of course has a new meaning for us as we look back to it not that the psalmist understood all these things Perhaps it was dawning on the disciples as, don't you wonder what they were thinking as they were, they were saying these words and taking this cup and, and seeing it, something was being transformed that night. But we looking back on it, how do we take up the cup of salvation? Well, I think it means for us that we fully embrace the gospel. The, the idea that our spiritual lives are totally dependent on the sacrifice of Christ and that he is our Lord and our Savior and we fully embrace that we take that up as our standard that the take up as some of your translations have I will lift up I will lift up the cup of salvation um, that is our standard the, the gospel the cup of salvation that we take is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and our life now is based on that 
how we live, what decisions we make, how we relate to each other as husbands, wives, and moms and dads, and how we relate to other people. Everything is based on the banner of the salvation of Christ, that he has changed me and I am new in him. That's how we take up the cup of salvation now. Now, fourth, I will pay my vows. Verse 14, and this is repeated again in verse 18. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. This is uh, something personal to the, um, the psalmist. My vows. I, I can't pay someone else's vows and they can't pay mine, but I will pay my vows. Vows were no promises made to God. Sometimes referring to an offering and thus the wording here, I will pay my vows, but, but it might also refer to promises of service or devotion or worship. For instance, someone back at this time might vow to to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year for Passover or something like that. Uh, um, Keep in mind what we we have already seen that we can't pay God back and the psalmist has acknowledged this. What shall I render to the Lord? Well, nothing. The only thing I can give is to take the cup of salvation. So the idea is not to pay God back. That's not what a vow is for. A vow is a personal promise to God of, of offering or devotion or service or worship. The psalmist says it's a public, in the presence of all people. This is similar, I think, to verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living the idea of being a testimony to God so I will pay my vow in the presence of the people which he repeats twice it means for it to be done publicly not that I get credit for giving but that God gets glory for being the one worthy of all the gifts and devotion Jesus said in Matthew 5 that the reason for letting our lights shine before men was what? So that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the purpose here of a vow is not to bring any credit or honor to the one who's paying a vow. I mean, they're just doing something they promised. But it is to show the reverence toward the one to whom the vow is paid to God. And a vow uh, is a promise. Just like when a man and woman come to be married and they make vows, right? I vow before you. It's a, it's a covenant. It is a promise. I am going to do this. It's not based on what the weather is going to do or whether I think you deserve it or not, it's based upon a vow that I'm making before God. I am going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be committed to you. That's a vow. It's, it's a promise. And when you make a vow to God, it, it's a promise. 
Ecclesiastes 5 says, be very careful when you make a vow because God will expect you to pay it. But it's a good thing to make a vow, to make a promise to God. Just be sincere about it. Now, we don't know what the vow was, and it's not important for us to know what the vow was. But what have you promised God? Have you made any promises to Him concerning your relationship with Him? And how are you doing in that? The psalmist says, I will pay my vows. And finally, I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now this particular person thought they were going to die. They, they expected it and in their distress called upon the name of the Lord. They now having come out from that time say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The word precious means weighty, significant, something that is highly esteemed. God, God does not take the of one of his godly ones light thing it's not like oh there's another one kicked the bucket you know it's, it's something that is very um, close to God's heart he takes it very seriously it's a weighty matter it's not to be taken lightly what, what is interesting to me is that as I, I try to look at this from heaven and earth's perspective from, from God's perspective here's, here's the life of one of his holy ones his, his godly ones someone who believes in him and we know in some cases he just takes people home early right or what it would seem like um, Enoch just he was, he was less than 400 years old wasn't he when he died I think it was 390 or something like that and he just walked with God just was was gone and Elijah taken up in a fiery and but precious in the sight of the Lord he as our heavenly father looks down on us his his beloved children how much better it would be for us to be with him it says in in Philippians um, that he thought it would be better to die and to be with Christ right that's a, that's a good thing that's a better thing for me Never for you for the sake of ministering to you it's good for me to be here and I think that's kind of the idea here is that even though God might love to have us home with him and we would be in paradise the moment we passed away what can't we do in heaven remember there's a book written the one thing you can't do in heaven that Mark Cahill maybe um, you know you can't share the gospel with anyone in heaven they already know it and there's 
There's no service in heaven like there is on earth. We have a unique opportunity to be witnesses and testimonies and to praise God on this planet and to help one another grow as believers and to challenge each other, encourage one another, pray for each other, and all those things that we can only do in this life now. This one life to serve God. And so look at the next verse, 16. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. You see, God sets us free to serve him. This person thought they were about to die, and they would be with God, but they would not be able to serve him anymore. But now they can walk before the Lord in the land of the living, and they can serve God um, I am your servant. God looses our bonds to set us free to serve him. In verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And, and again, call upon the name of the Lord. I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. On Thursday, the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving is, is not... Tom Turkey offered up as a burnt offering. But it's a sacrifice. It's a, it's a sacrifice because it is something which is offered up to God and pleasing to Him. It is an act of worship. And in the Old Testament, they didn't think of sacrifice and worship as separate things. They, they were interrelated. So to talk about sacrifice here really is to talk about worship. I'm going to offer up worship to God to declare my dependence upon him, my love for him. That's the, the sacrifice, the offering up the worship of thanksgiving. The sacrifice of thanksgiving comes from a humble heart which says, I love you, Lord. And I will call upon the Lord I will walk before the Lord. I will take the cup of salvation. I will pay my vows. And I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now if you would in closing. Turn to Hebrews 13. I'll ask the worship team to come up. As we get ready to sing one more song. At the end here. The rest of us turn to Hebrews 13. Verses 15 through 16. up above this passage in verse 8 Hebrews 13 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever verse 15 therefore by him by this same unchangeable Jesus Christ by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name let us continually do that. Of course, we know that Thanksgiving is a unique opportunity to do that, especially with a gathering of people. 
But this is, this is a time, uh, this is something that is to be done all the time. Let us continually offer up to God the thank, the, the sacrifice of praise. And that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. And it's not only loving God, but loving others. Worshiping God, serving others. And that's how we praise him. And we have one more song to sing. Let, won't we stand together as uh, worship team leads us? <laughs>